0: Hey everyone, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. But now it's time to get back to running. Well, I'm sure some of you guys were running anyway on Thanksgiving with turkey trots. But it is the Let'sRun.com Track Talk podcast. This is Jonathan Golt. I'll be joined in a minute by my co-hosts Robert and Weldon Johnson, co-founders of our beloved Let'sRun.com. Still got plenty of talk to talk about. One of the best marathons, maybe the best full marathon, Valencia. That was over the weekend. We also had a world record for Joshua Cheptegei. We'll talk about that mo farah is headed back to the track for 2020 talk a little bit about praise for Alberto salazar from rojo am i reading that right we might see and we'll recap a little little turkey trot action some high school running still plenty to talk about this week one of you guys robert weldon hope you guys are doing well hope you guys had a great thanksgiving even though the cowboys lost
1: yes john of course i had a wonderful thanksgiving this is robert johnson let's run.com co-founder we got some feedback from the podcast. People like to, I guess people are finding the podcast on Apple since we have such high reviews, they don't know who we are. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you my credentials. This is Walden's brother. Roger and Uncle Twins, someone once said, is just like Robert except better at everything. Former 223 marathoner, Jonathan Galt, the man that opened the podcast is a former 29-minute, 10,000-meter runner, 2940-something. Not that you're just how fast you are.
0: No, I find it interesting, Robert, your inferiority complex clearly runs deep because you, it, the first way you identified yourself was as Weldon's brother, which I found fairly interesting.
1: Okay, well, I guess I should identify myself in a new, oh, how about an old way? I claimed to fame as a famous, I paced Catherine into for, well, some of her world record at the Chicago Marathon, I think in 2002 or one or
0: something like that. 2001.
1: Thank you. We have exciting news, and I'm very upset. You did not lead the podcast, but we have very exciting news, and this is my new claim to fame, folks. I'm a dad. Happy birthday, Clayton. We love you. Terrible twos have started as of today.
0: Oh, happy birthday, Clayton Johnson! Now that's not a new claim to fame. You've been a dad for two years, but uh, you know that you're the only one of us on this podcast that can say that. But well, well, Robert. Also, you left off coach of the powerhouse cornell track and field teams in the 2000s you know what was it eight straight straight heps titles outdoor track
1: thank you john i was i was the men's distance coach at cornell university for 10 years we won eight straight outright ivy league championships the only ivy league sport in history to win eight in a row outright titles i think maybe actually excuse me one of two teams that have ever done that in any sport in ivy league history folks i'm part of the greatest coaching juggernaut in the history of the Ivy Lee.
2: Well guys, can you guys stop talking? I wasn't on the podcast much last week. Ratings were down. Ratings were down. And I, I think I need to join now to restore some sanity.
1: And actually some real credentials. Please identify
2: yourself, Walden,
1: for the new listeners.
2: Yes, to the new listeners. One of the founders of the website. That's it. I guess I'm the fastest guy on the website. I was a high school hack. It's all relative, right? Walked on at Yale. Was no good there. So I just kept running. Had the running bug. Kept running. Made the Olympic marathon trials. Was about the 100th guy, best guy in the country in the marathon. And then I started, helped start com, Folks, and then the running dream took off. Somehow from 100th in the country to 4th in the country twice at 10K. And Little Let's Run, powered from a blog to now a website that gets a million and a half unique visitors a month. So guys, follow your dreams. Sometimes they work out.
1: Sometimes they don't. Weldon left out one key negative there, though, John. I don't think John's even aware of this. How does a guy that gets fourth in the country twice though end up he, – he was, I think, fourth in 2003 and five? Is that right, well? One and three. Excuse me, 2001 and three. But how does he get lapped at the 2000 trials? Like, this is not a good performance there. And also, Walden's also left out a key development last week, folks. Big, big breaking news. Just like I'm a father of a two-year-old. Weldon is now no longer a New York City resident. He, on Monday morning, Monday, all day Monday, they didn't get in until 2 a.m. He's moved to the suburbs. He is now what no one wants to be, a suburban dweller.
0: Weldon, you said you wanted to give us your uh, like top five things about New York. Maybe we do that at the end of the episode, but... I would suggest we sort of stop patting ourselves on the back, giving personal life updates. This isn't why people listen to the podcast. Let's talk some running, right? Let's talk Valencia. Well, first of all, when are you guys sending me to Valencia? The city looks beautiful. I think we I should, I should start a campaign for uh, a business trip there in 2020. But second of all, Joshua guy world record. I think that was the performance of the weekend, right? 26.38 to break the 10K road world record.
1: No, I, I don't really care about a 10K road world record. I care about the amazing depth of this marathon. I mean, it was unbelievable. We had four, three sub two nineteens, four sub two twenties. Those were all time records. Seven, John, I'm trying to pull it up. 7-21s.
0: Yes. So this is on the women's side. Those are all well, and nine sub two twenty threes. And then on the men's side, the depth was almost as, as great. You know, there were twelve sub-208s, which is second only to the 2012 Dubai Marathon. And there were 30 guys broke 212 in one race. It's crazy. Totally crazy. Uh, And I think we've got the confluence here of deep field, fast course, and shoes. And when you put those three, and great weather as well. So when you put those things together, you get ridiculous times like this.
1: I'd like to add a fifth element, John, that no one's thinking about. So, first of all, Valencia, it's amazing. They've done such a good job. They hosted the World Half Marathon a few years ago. The course looks spectacular. The weather's great. It's, I mean, the times are, no matter what race is run in Valencia, the times are so fast. Remember a few years ago, I said, oh, the course must be short. It's not short. It's accurately measured. But there's a fifth thing I think that actually helps for an early December marathon is the time of year. When you run an early December marathon, you get to train for the marathon in the fall when the weather is perfect. You know, it's cooler. You you can get in some really nice workouts. When you're training for, like, your standard, you know, Berlin or Chicago, a lot of your training is done in August and and September or so when it's it's much hotter, you know, July even. So, you know, it's harder to train, I think. So I think a December marathon really is perfect because you can sort of – get going at the end of the summer, but then do most of your training when the weather is a little bit more ideal. That's particularly actually probably for the recreational runners. So that wouldn't really explain sort of the 30 sub two twelves.
0: Yeah. That's I'm kind of, I was kind of interested there. Like, yeah, for Boston, if I was training for the marathon in Boston, that would be true. I don't know about some of these guys, like in, in Kenya, it's pretty warm all year round. I would be interested to hear about that and talk to some of the pros.
2: I mean, Valencia was amazing and it's pretty cool because the world marathon majors are talking about expanding and, It sounds like they're kind of just going to do it through their sponsor, Wanda, which we keep saying we're going to talk about. But if I was going to pick a marathon, Valencia's come on so much in the last couple of years. The views is just stunningly beautiful from what we've seen when they host the World Half Marathon Championships. And they're getting amazing performances, which is more and more people need to go to Valencia.
0: Yeah, and Robert. I, th- I think it's ridiculous, though. Look, we talked about this marathon. It's great, but it's ridiculous for you to just overlook Sheptergay's world record here. I mean, twenty six thirty eight. We're just, you know, we're just ignoring that. I mean, yes, he wore the shoes, but he's also the best, you know, ten k runner in the world right now. He's had an all one of the all time great years in in distance running. You know, if you look at what he's accomplished, my question to you: he, here is what he's done this year. He's won World Cross. He's won the Diamond League title in the 5,000. He's won the world title in the 10,000 in 2648. And then he comes to Valencia and gets the road world record over 10K. Was he totally robbed by Elliot Kipchoge for athlete of the year?
1: I don't think he was totally robbed. I still would have given it to Karsten Warholm, who had two world records, was undefeated in the track.
0: He didn't break any world records this year, but Warholm was undefeated and, you know, ran the second fastest time ever.
1: Oh, two world records. What am I? Am I no? Wait, You're
0: mixing up your 400 hurdles, Robert. It's okay. He looks a lot like Dalila Muhammad. They're easily
1: confused. And he had a great year. He's, he and Kennedy Bekele are the only guys to win a World Cross and a World 10,000 title now in on, on the same year. Yeah, uh, I, I shouldn't disparage him. He's amazing. And I can't wait now for the 10,000 next year at the Olympics. It's going to be spectacular. So we'll get into the most fair thing. The reason why I didn't want to lead with that is, I just, of course, I expected him to break the world record. Road 10K record just doesn't mean that much to me. But with the new shoes to me, I'm just discounting everything with the shoes. And we're going to get into the shoe talk as usual. I want to clarify a few things. I put some shoe talk in the week that was, the weekly column that I do, and gotten some quick emails from people, and I want to explain a few things there before I publish a shoe only article probably later in the week asking for the formal disqualification from the 2016 Olympics
0: oh my god I need to crap my beer that's the weekly mention this is becoming our Salazar segment here
1: yeah Chapter guy he's had an amazing year and John unless we want to keep should we keep should we go to Chapter guy Mofer now or talk about the marathon
0: I just want to talk about one thing we no one's uh, it, this hasn't got a lot of mention I saw some news reports trickling out that Ceptegei wants to run the world half next year in Poland. Now, how awesome would it be to see Joshua Cheptegai, the world record holder of a 10K in the roads and the world champion at 10,000 meters against Jeffrey Kamwaror, the three-time defending champion and the world record holder in the half marathon? That would be a race I I would love to see. And it, it reminds me of, you know, 2016, we had Farah versus Kamwaror, versus Kuroki in Cardiff at the world half, and that was an epic race. And I, I think Cheptegei versus Camaro would be more... If we had that, and then a month later, we've got Bikale and Kipchoge in, in London, I mean, how amazing would that spring be?
1: That would be amazing. I mean, I would love to see that. But, but John, we're going to imagine... I assume we're going to see Cheptegei and Farah in the 10,000, too. So we get Cheptegei Camor in, in the half, and then maybe all three of them in the 10,000 at the Olympics. Spectacular. So one other thing about I, I would like to focus on the 10,000 now i mean kinde atenu ayalu unnamed unknown pro basically who was 26 years old who had done nothing since finishing fourth at the world juniors in 2012 had never broken 60 minutes and a half he won the men's race in 20351 in valencia and well i guess uh, i keep going back and forth i want to talk about you know, again, this this is the shoes. Like people are like, oh, don't people run faster? I'm like, yeah, but do I think he's a better marathoner than Haligabir Solace? Absolutely not,
0: Robert. Actually, before we yeah, before we get into the shoes or whatever, your take is going to be there. There are a few things I just want to run down the list because there are a lot of interesting names on the the results here. I think it's worth mentioning. So yeah, Ayalu, sorry, Elayu. Usually it's Ayalu in Ethiopia. They anyway. Essentially, comes out of nowhere. Runs two o three. Second place, Khan Keegan Osbilin of Turkey, formerly Mike Keegan of Kenya. He breaks Mo Farah's European record. He runs two o four sixteen. So that takes almost a minute off of the Mark Farah set at the Chicago Marathon last year. Third place, Gaia Dola. Remember him? Twenty seventeen Berlin Marathon at the time, fastest debut ever. Two o three forty six. He's he's back. Runs two o four forty two. And again, if you want, look, if you want to include, he's actually an Adidas guy, so I don't think he ran in in Nike shoes. Um, Moved out. Sandre Moen, Norway, 206.16. It's pretty impressive. A a white guy from Norway has now run 205.48 and 206.16 in the marathon. That's pretty phenomenal. Robert, you want to chime in about Moen?
1: He was with the leaders, like to the final 5K. So it's just, he must have been on, you know, 204 pace at, at the worst. And just slow down. So there was a big pack there till the end.
0: One other guy, Robert mentioned this in the week that was, he had some interesting numbers. It was Sergey Kabede. So he's a two time London Marathon champion. He's still chugging along. He ran 207.54 for 12th place. And Robert, I was really impressed. Some of the stats you had about him in the week that was, you compared the number of times that kabete has run sub you know x number sub like 205 sub 206 that sort of thing to all american marathoners in history and it's interesting he has the same number of sub 205s as all americans combined one he has more sub two hundred five than all americans combined three now i think kipchoge is also in that boat as well and has a lot more but he's got more sub 207s 11 versus six he's got more sub 208s He's got 15 sub-208s. All Americans in history have run 10 sub-208s. So some of these, it, it's kind of crazy how prolific he's been and you compare it, just what one Ethiopian has accomplished versus the history
2: of American marathoning. And do you guys know how much money he got for running
0: 207.54? I would assume maybe an appearance fee. If And that's, that would be pretty much it.
2: Yeah, $0 in prize money because the money went 10 deep. We're, we've been talking about shoes and... I saw some reference on Twitter saying the 4% shoe take on let week that was is garbage like always. And if you're not acknowledging that these shoes, it's not a 4% improvement. It's a 4% improvement in efficiency. That's what they're saying. And I think that comes out to like, you know, there's a ratio. And so maybe we should start discussing it in that way, but the shoes most definitely sort of make a difference. But I think, And scientists are saying that and it needs to be acknowledged. But I think one thing this Valencia race also shows is like what happens when you just invite some of the best people in the world and don't manage the fields. Because Robert had the interesting stats. You know, in New York, there are only four guys who'd ever broken 208 on the start line. And this race had like what? How many 208s in the actual race? It's crazy. And so 12, right? Twelve, yeah, twelve in the, in this actual race, and you know this is a fast course and that sort of thing. It's different, but New York and these a lot of the World Marathon Majors sort of manage the fields. Don't necessarily invite all of the best people or have open races. And I think this shows you just open it up. Say, hey, anybody who wants to come, you know, we should talk to the race director and sort of also see is he paying paying appearances? How is he getting these great fields? Because Valencia sort of figured something else out that I think other races haven't. Right. maybe more races, they, they can do this, you know, the Rotterdams of the world, and, and they sort of do, but not to this, this extent. I mean, the performances were astounding.
0: Yeah, I think that's an interesting point, Well, because a lot of some race directors and the majors will <clears throat> go for big names, either athletes who have run their race before, like, Bo- I know Boston likes bringing back their previous champions, and a lot of races will do that, and, or they'll invite a big name, or someone who had one great marathon a few years ago, whereas Valencia picks their field, I think essentially, from, you know, they just pick a lot of people who are pretty fit right now and ready to rock a fast marathon. And I'm not saying one approach is necessarily better than the other. I just think it's interesting. And you you get a result like this. I mean, Vivian Chariot, she would headline almost any marathon field that she's in. She's won London. She's an Olympic gold medalist. She's won world titles on the track. You know, she's one of the best distance runners of our generation. She shows up to Valencia. She runs a pretty good race, 218. I mean, remember, she was supposed to run Berlin early this year, couldn't do it, withdrew with injury. She comes back and runs 218. So that's a pretty impressive comeback for her. She gets fourth place. She doesn't even, she ran 218.52 and doesn't even get on the podium. It's just crazy. I mean, a few years ago, basically no women were breaking 218, breaking 219, almost no one was doing it. And now, We've got four people doing it, and it's not even a major marathon. It's it's crazy.
1: Well, n- maybe not a major marathon in your book, but come on. We need to start treating it as a major. It, we at Ledger Run have always treated the World Marathon majors plus Dubai as a major. I'm putting Valencia on that status. And the Abbott people, you, Abbott World Marathon majors, you guys need to be very careful what you do because if you dilute your thing and have a lot of races better than you, you, know, you can market yourself as the majors. But if people like ourselves and, and, and others think that you aren't the best marathons, that's not going to mean a whole lot. Again, I'll say my brilliant idea in case we have new listeners to the podcast. There's six majors now. If they go to eight, that's going to be too many. We have four in in other sports like golf and tennis. Go to eight, but do one race of each gender. So you have four men's majors, four women's majors, and then you can have some really high-quality races. But, you know, I mean, one thing – and. I criticize New York for having only four guys on the start line that only had a a sub-208 PR when there's 12 finishers in Valencia that break 208. But, you know, I do think you see one thing here of – I mean, I guess it was kind of Thanksgiving, John, and you wrote a a quick preview, but it's not like – one thing by just letting anyone enter, it's hard to create storylines before the race. It's sort of like just throwing eggs against the wall and seeing who who doesn't crack. So I can see why races want to have a limited field. They don't want to have just, you know – Every random person showing up. But it's not like Total Unknown's won this race. I mean, Rosa DeRege is a Dubai winner. She was second in Chicago in 2018, third in London this year. So if we had actually done a preview of this race, I think we could have had a few storylines. I mean, nobody would have picked the men's winner, I don't think. He probably would have been lucky to even be mentioned in, in our preview if we had done a, an extensive preview of that.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. Like with Dubai, a lot of times the winner there is just a random – an Ethiop- not a random Ethiopian, but an Ethiopian that no one's heard of. Uh, in the larger running world. And so those previews, yeah, it's a little hard. To, apart from the years Bikele or, you know, Gebra Selassie was showing up and trying to break the world record. Sometimes it's hard to find a storyline. I disagree that there weren't any storylines here. I mean, you had a lot of guys coming back. Art was coming coming back from her injury. You had Gaia Dola. Priska Jeptu ran the women's race, former New York champion. She got 10th in 224. I mean, you had a lot of comeback people and, you know, some some other fast people on paper. So I, I disagree that they, 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 again, they want huge, huge names in this race. Like, but I don't, I don't think it's like, you know, a bunch of no names.
1: Well, but, I didn't mean to say there were no storylines. I, I, I was just sort of, I like to play devil's advocate, giving New York a little credit for sort of limiting the field. But I think that Valencia, just your La Ciudad de, de Correa, or whatever you say it, however you say it in Spanish.
0: Yeah, well, the other thing is New York New York has to bring in Americans. If we, if New York didn't, they have to spend a decent amount of their budget on bringing in Americans. If they didn't do that, would be very critical. I like We all like to see Americans run New York, and that's part of what they have to do. And I think generally they do a very good job of getting Americans to run that race, especially this year being so close to the trials. So it's sort of every race has a different priority in when it comes to assembling their fields.
2: John, they don't have to do anything. They're choosing to do it, so I think we should use the right words, but... Yeah. I'm not, I'm not criticizing New York. I mean, did, I don't know if you even went there last week cause you know, people, Oh, let's run a racist well You could argue it's racist. I mean, like how, how do you want to go there to bring Americans or internationalist? I mean, there's sort of all those things sort of in, I don't know the era we live in and I think New York is a very progressive city and it stands for a lot of things, but it's sort of interesting how you could that same decision that ever that you're praising. Some people could be very negative of it. I like kind of what New York does but I think also they should open up the fields at the same time and I also don't like how people throw around labels at stuff because New York does so much that's right but I think it's just sort of interesting how you you could define this same thing and look at it so many different ways and Robert kind of hit it on hit on it the big name stars in the sport are very expensive so you know you bring in a camera it's going to cost you six figures well you just put that towards prize money and you just probably paid for the what the top three in the race in Valencia right
1: right, but they probably got Vivian Cherry for next to nothing. I mean, she's what a double Olympic champion or one one how many Olympic golds? one
0: Olympic title, but I think full world championship golds. I believe
1: I have wondered that. Weldon, you know, Walden used the word racism, which is a, a, a word that's far too often brought out in these days, this day and age, than is deserved. But I have thought, like, I'm surprised some of these races haven't gotten accused of racism because, sort of, I don't think it's racist at all. But like an Ethiopian to a forerunner that not many people know doesn't do a whole lot for the media perspective in the U S for a race like New York, but it's not racist. If that person got U.S. citizenship, they'd be heralding it as the, you know, if an Eritrean born Meb Kavleski wins or, you know, somebody like that, or Bernard Legat. I mean, America jumps on board. I think it's more of a nationalist thing. You know, I, I think that, um, anyways, it's just, it's pretty interesting, you know, that, um, This is the whole thing. I mean, look at Segaya Kibete. He's done 50% more sub 2 than all Americans combined. People, if you don't think the sports gene is real, go ahead and read the book.
2: I think now we need to get in our political segment. All right, John. Donald Trump, racist or nationalist? Go. I mean, can he be both? Oh, wow. I was expecting John to deflect the question.
1: Keep going. (laughs) I mean, I don't know. He's... I, I'll stop the political talk and it's time for a sponsor plug. Well then maybe you want to read the email of the week that we got. We've got some podcast feedback. Tell tell people how they can get podcast feedback. I know a lot of you have been going to the iTunes store and reviewing us, which is fantastic. You give us six stars on there.
2: Yep. <laughs> Actually, yeah, review us on the iTunes. I think people say that's important. But or you can go to wetstron.com slash podcast, fill out a form there, give us any feedback. It's sort of a great way to do it and very easy. We probably should make it so you can do it every week, like rate that way that week's podcast and we get immediate feedback. I mean, obviously you can do it every week, but sort of like you just click a button and we see it right away.
0: Yeah, but no, not to be an asshole here. Guys, rate and review the podcast. If you're listening right now and you haven't done it, you're considering it, if you like what you hear, give us a rating. Five stars actually. And if you're not if you if you're gonna rate it, might as well rate it five stars, right? And if you're not gonna rate it five stars, don't even rate it at all. But yeah, rate it, review, you know, just tell us what you like.
2: Guys. We need to start talking about Mofara. But before that, we had another big event this weekend. Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Did you guys take advantage?
0: Yeah, I bought a thing or two. Don't want to give too much details. Person might be listening, but uh, let's just say I think I got a few Christmas presents for this year.
1: Whoa, 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 whoa. Did John potentially get a gift for Liz, the Terre Haute superfan?
0: No,
2: no, this is a family member, but... You guys are so immature. Anyway... Uh, Norma Normatech had a great Black Friday through Cyber Monday sale and Let's Run. But for everyone who missed out and does not have a Norma Tech LED Recovery Pulse 2.0 system, the, their winter sale is still going on. 100 bucks off all Norma Tech systems. These things are great for recovery. I'm sure you guys have seen them. They're the big sort of leg sleeves you put on. I mean, you can get full body if you want. Pulsating. It's a massager at your house. All the pro runners have them. Why not take your own running to the next step? Check it out. Normatech.com. 100 bucks off. Their winter sale is still going on.
1: Wow. I'm trying to get back into running. It's not going well. But maybe I should get out the Let's Run credit card and get one for myself.
0: Yeah, well, it's interesting. So two quick things. One, I saw footage of Robert. It was sent to me on Thanksgiving. He was running. I, I hesitate to call it running because it was very slow. But... Can you give us an update, Robert, on, on your running comeback?
1: Well, I meant to announce on Let's Run. I was going to start a thread. Help me. I wanted to up my mileage by 2,000%. Is that right? In span of, I thought I could do it in like in a few weeks. It hasn't gone so well. But 2,000% sounds like a lot. I wanted to go from like two or three miles per week, which I'm currently doing, to running to work every day for three miles and then running back every day three miles. That would be 30 miles a week. So that actually... Yeah, if I go from three miles to 30, what is that? What percentage is that? Anyways,
0: a thousand percent. I've,
1: I've been injured. I tried to rest up so that I could run around the course in Terre Haute. My calf was hurting me there, though. Haven't really run there since, but I was at a, at a sort of a resort, I guess, with some other families. A couple families were there, and the, the other kids, uh, the, the other family had a seven year old. He wanted to run the turkey trot. They had a free turkey trot at the resort, and I hopped in the race. Apparently, his father emailed me running behind the kid, and it, John, I I, I sent it to you because I was horrified. He said, yeah, I I saw you limping around. I'm like, what do you mean? My knee was kind of bothering me, but I looked like a 75-year-old man. It looked terrible, John, didn't it?
0: He looked like Robert De Niro in The Irishman. It was, uh, yeah, somewhat embarrassing.
2: Well, I think I was getting ready for the move. I was not at this resort, and I saw the video, and I, I maybe need to study this again. But I was a little bit worried because... I guess the guy who filmed it, he's an ex Navy SEAL and those guys stay fit. My family's sort of, this is like a second family of ours. You know, my parents are friends with that generation and on down. And the last time we went somewhere with them, you know, the Navy SEAL dragged Robert and I like running up to the top of this mountain somewhere. And I give Robert some credit about 10 minutes into this run or no, 10 minutes, one minute, and he's like, I'm done, I'm stopping. But he actually didn't stop. So, Robert, glad you're still here with us today.
0: That ad read we had, I just wanted to say, that was that was for our fans because, believe it or not, did we not get an email this week, someone wanted us to have more ads to sound like a professional podcast? Is that right? Was Could we possibly had in the first time in history, someone is asking for ads in a podcast? Is this true?
2: Yes, it is true, John. We had w- one guy... He actually filled out the form, so he was listening, and his name is Joe. I won't give his last name, but he one, he wasn't familiar with who we are. He wanted our bio page and whatnot, same guy. He gave us some comments about Mary Kane and talked about Coach Al McGuire basketball, saying essentially, like, you take the pro contract, you better know what you're getting into. But he also said, you could take out the casual funky guitar at the opening or replace it with a short commercial. Well, we now get to about a four-minute commercial, but we're still looking for an intro. We need a proper intro. If somebody wants to make us like a full intro, we need more than just music, but we need like somehow like a proper intro that what a podcast have, you know?
0: Yeah, we need someone just yelling out, let's run catchphrases, like goes home devastated or, you know, someone is back, baby, that sort of thing. Maybe make it into a song. I don't know.
2: Uh, all right. Sorry. Speaking of people who are back, John, that was very nice. Mo Farah is returning to the track. He announced on Instagram, I guess last week now, that for Tokyo 2020, he's going to run the 10,000 meters. Are you guys shocked? Surprised?
0: No, I mean, th- this makes perfect sense to me. He's not going to be Eli Kuchoge. Uh, he pr- probably won't... Not saying he can't medal at the, in the marathon, he'd be a candidate, but he was only eighth in Chicago and fifth in London this year, and he needs to finish in the top three to get a medal at the Olympics. I... I think he would probably have been you know outside I would he pro I haven't seen the fields yet but it would be tough to get a medal in that whereas the 10k you know if he can get back close to his previous form I think Joshua Tepteguy is clearly taking over he's the favorite for gold but if you times if you're talking about meddling, I like his chances a lot better on the track than I do in the marathon
1: Yeah John I mean we got to remember Galen Rupp medal Mo Farah is a better runner than Galen Rupp so I think he possibly could have medal, but I, I'm i thrilled he's back in the 10,000. I don't understand why everyone thinks he need to move up to the marathon. He was the world's best runner at the 10,000 when he left, and I think he's still a medal threat right in the 10,000. Now, that being said, let's cut through the crap. Yes or no, does he win gold?
0: No, I, I'm sorry. I think Shep, the guy's better at this point. Uh, and Far Farah's 37 now. He's been away from the track for a few years. I think... I don't know. I mean, Chapter Guy. I think the 2019 version of Chapter Guy is better than any of the guys Farah beat for gold, and he's probably better than the 2011 version of Ibrahim Ibrahim Jalan that upset Farah at Worlds. And I think Chapter Guy has the potential to be even better in 2020. I don't see Mo Farah being better than he was, you know, in 2016 or 2017. So I'm calling Chapter Guy for gold right now.
2: I think Jeff, guy guys, definitely the safe bet and the favorite. I wonder if you can find betting odds in London, actually, you know, far as 36 now, actually, John, to be 37 by London. That was, that was my point by, by Tokyo, he'll be 37. Oh, London. Excuse me. Good point. But the question is, you know, what can a 37 year old male do in the 10,000 meters? And I think we're talking how sport is changing earlier and guys are running fast. You put them all in one race. What does that mean? Guys didn't used to try to run the 10,000 when they were 37. And some would say, oh, it's because they weren't very good at it. But there's been advances in sports science, and there's the financial incentive to extend careers. So I think in all sports, we're seeing it. Till we've seen the tragic demise of Tom Brady this year. But, you know, athletes can run a lot longer than they did in the past.
0: Yeah, I mean, look at look at Bernard Lagat. right? He, he medaled in the 5K in 2011 when he was 36 years old. In 2016, you know, he made, he was what, fifth at the Olympics when he was 41 years old. So I, I think you, you know, if you're a freak talent and I think Farah probably is in that category, you know, I think he'd be in contention, but Lagarde went for, Lagarde went from, you know, sort of winning in 2007 and then meddling to sort of falling back a little bit by, you know, I think, yeah, I think it's interesting. It's a good point though. Well, people are extending their careers a little bit longer and, you know, Legat's still running, so I think I'm very interested to see how Farah does and how he deals with the young bucks in Tokyo.
2: I mean, the ten thousand in Tokyo could be tremendous. You're gonna have Chepkay, Farah. What if uh, if Jeffrey Kamor drops back down to the track? That would be amazing. And Yomif Kajelja was silver medalist this year. I mean, those are sort of big names. And if they all run the ten thousand, it's sort of interesting because the ten thousand outside of the Olympics and Worlds. Very seldomly run, but it's sort of been one of the most iconic events, I would argue, distance events, and the, at the Olympics in sort of recent history. You have Pharaoh with all the doubles before that. You have Bekele, who was the greatest, and Gabriel Selassie, who was the greatest. You had Gabriel Selassie versus Turgot as far back as 2000. You know, with the talk of the demise of the 5,000 at the Diamond League, and oh, will that kill off the 10,000? I would love to see a tremendous 10,000 in Tokyo.
1: Yeah, I mean, the 10,000's history is sick. And you've had three great double champions in a row. Farah, Bakile, Gabriel Selesse. Going farther back, I mean, you had Yifter the Shifter, who actually won gold in 1980, John, you pointed out in the article. 36 years of age.
0: That's a questionable. People think he might be even older than that. No one really knows.
1: Rossi Viren, perhaps with some blood doping, won two. Billy Mills won a very historic one. Mills Adapak. And going back to Pablo normally also a double champion. So really, in this historical event. But, John, the, I was thinking about the age. And I was like, when it came, he came back, I was excited that he's coming back. Because I've never, uh, again, like he won gold when he last was at the Worlds in the 10,000. Everyone assumed he would also win the 5,000 gold. Now, he did not. Edris beat him there. But it wasn't like he was sort of not doing well in the in the track when he left to go to the marathon.
0: Remember his final track race? Zurich Diamond League final twenty seventeen epic race he won it.
1: So but here's some questions I have for you guys. Well, then, guess how old Halle Gabri was when he won his last track medal and Canadian's a big a You're talking Olympic medal in two thousand in the 10 thousand? Any world championship or Olympic medal.
2: I'm not sure what year that would have been. Probably been like 2001 or 2003. Oh my god, he must have been pretty young, 26.
1: I'll say 27. I think uh, Gebre Celeste was 30 at his last medal. Bakili was 27. He's now 37. Bakili has not won a medal in 10 years. Is that right? So, again, that doesn't mean that he can't do it. I'm just pointing that out. You know, I mean, obviously, Bekele is still running well 10 years later. And, um, you know, Gepard Celeste did a lot of stuff after 32. But it's just putting it out there. Facts are facts.
0: All right. Shall we transition now to the... Robert Johnson, Alberto Salazar, conspiracy theory, praise section of the podcast. Everyone, you know, this is hitting our quota right now.
1: Yes, we need to bring up Alberto, and, and I want to talk about this. So I, I saw last week that UK Athletics is going to be investigating why – first of all, I mean, UK Athletics, like, they're always investigating something. It seems like they have some sort of scandal all the time. Almost as poorly run as USATF. But they're doing some sort of – they're going to do an investigation on, you know, why they stayed affiliated with Alberto Salazar and, you know – this, I'm like, what grandstanding, what kind of crap is this? What what are they apologizing for, John? You're, you're half-Brit. I don't understand this. What, they want to know why Alberto Salazar, that why they allowed Mo Ferris to stay with Alberto Salazar. Why? Because he won, how many goddamn medals did he win on Alberto Salazar, John?
0: Ten, ten golds, right? Or is it ten, ten medals? I think eight golds, two, two silvers. I don't know if I'm shortchanging him there.
1: What are they investigating right now? I don't get it. Last time I checked, Mo Farah wasn't a woman. He wasn't being fat-shamed. So there was nothing to worry about on that front. And Mo, and I can't believe I'm going to Salazar. He still, to this day, has not been accused of doping any of his professional athletes. Yes, he doped Steve Magnus. Whoop-de-f- he, whoop-de-f- he doped his assistant coach. He didn't, according to the authorities, you know, travelers Target. we've already investigated the runners. He didn't dope Mo Farah, according to them. So... What is this investigation about? And if anything, they should be praising Alberto Salazar. He was willing to dope his assistant coach, dope his sons to get all the science so that he could coach Mo Farah to the top. I mean, this is just grandstanding beyond belief.
2: Well, people love to the grandstand these days. And sure, it's some grandstanding. But I think w- what they would say is like these doping violations were already out in the open. They, it, they had broken anti-doping rules and they still said, oh, OK, it's it's." cool that mo faro works with him but i agree at this point like what are you investigating you guys already made this decision you said it was fine for uh, you know mo to run with him and there was a lot of stuff that was controversial but like alberto wasn't banned so mo should be allowed to work with him if he wants to and if there's public relations kickback there's public relations
1: kickback correct and you know what one of the things that i don't get is like you okay robert I lost my train of thought, John, it, it, getting older, but I, I just, I, I don't know. I mean, oh, he's been banned. So now he's like the evilest thing. They should have never worked for him. I, these allegations, p- people knew about Alberto Salazar and athletics West and, and, and the drug allegations d- dating from the eighties, only idiots. So now that it's sort of, there's a public you know, conviction. Oh no, we had these things before. It, it, like I, I would have never gone to Alberto Salazar in the first place. If I was one of these people, if I was Craig Ingalls, I would have never gone to Alberto Salazar. I wouldn't have wanted to do that just because I wouldn't want to be associated with that name. But, but 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 they did this, and now people are sort of grandstanding, and it's like ridiculous to me. All
0: right, all right, Robert, I got to step in here because some of the things you said are just so ridiculous that they can't be they can't afford to go unchallenged. But first of all, I do agree. Doing an investigation into why that previous investigation failed, I just find silly, feudal, and a waste of money, time and effort.
1: Let me say one thing here. The appeals process is not over. What happens when Alberto gets off in three months? Shouldn't they at least wait for the appeal to finish? Because if I am really, as a journalist, hoping for this. I hope Alberto gets vindicated and cleared. Then the media won't know what to do.
0: This is, no, this is ridiculous. You're just losing any integrity. Robert, who has been essentially leading the anti-Salazar crusade for years, suddenly, now that he's been convicted, says he wants him to be cleared and returned to the sport. It's just ridiculous double talk. But here's the other thing, Robert. You're like, he should be- You did. did correct me if I'm wrong. Did you say he should be praised for doping his sons and conducting doping experiments to- that he was banned for and that constituted anti-doping violations because he was pushing up against the line. That's the sort of stuff you want to commend. No, he should be and was punished for those things because it's totally unethical and it's against, you know, most people's moral codes of the sport. So to, to, the idea, Oh, he didn't dope anyone. You know, yes. Were these things sort of technicalities and fairly, You know, it wasn't like he was outright administering EPO to these people, but he broke multiple rules, was banned for three separate violations. The idea that he's done nothing wrong and, you know, should be commended for pushing the limits, I just think is a ridiculous take.
2: I think that was Robert giving a little bit of a hot take, but I mean, some of the like holier than now revisionist history towards Alberto Salazar now is kind of crazy.
0: I don't know. I, I don't know if there's that much revision of history. Here's here's the thing. there A lot of the people who have been anti-Salazar in the media now feel vindicated, and some of them are taking a victory lap. There have been other people who have been hesitant to speak out about it while the process was ongoing, but have always had doubts about it. And then they came out and said, you know, yeah, I've always had doubts, and it's nice to see that this my doubts are finally confirmed. I don't think that there are that many people who think differently about Salazar now that he's banned. I think they're just more willing to set, share their opinions on it.
1: Correct, including people who greatly benefited from Salazar. Does Amy Yoder Begley ever make the Olympics if she's not coached by Salazar? Does Kara Goucher ever win a medal? I don't know. I'm not saying. That. I'm just saying if you if you're looking at this from the in justify means thing, I think some of this is grandstanding. Do I think that, do I, do I think that that type of behavior and treatment, particularly of young women, should be allowed? No, but. I, I just think that some of the hypocrisy here is, is just you know, over the top.
0: Well, I think some of the hypocrisy is you who were anti-Salazar for years now coming out as pro-Salazar and championing him as this you know, great guy who's pushing the limits.
1: I, I didn't champion him as that. If you want to know the truth... Sounds like it to me. John says we don't know that... You know, He wasn't like he was injecting people with EPL. I talked to John Kellogg about this. John is, thinks everyone's on drugs. This is simple. So clearly
0: we're going to get a rational opinion here.
1: As John said you know, they're giving them vitamin B ch- B12 injections. You have no idea if they're not putting steroids in there or EPO or something like that. They could be doing that. Th- this is my take on Salazar. Do I think that like Rupp and those guys, and this is probably going to get me sued, but do I think that Rupp and them were on EPO? Let me say Rupp. Rupp is different than, than, than Farrah because I think Farrah's got more access to Africa, which is easier to get stuff, I think, done over there. I don't think Rupp was probably ever on EPO. But if you put a gun to my head and said, "Do I think that when Alberto did he ever rub test androgel into him during a massage?" Gun to my head, and I'm I'm dead if I'm wrong. I'm going to say yes. There, I'm going to say over fifty percent chance yes at some point. Not I don't not necessarily consistently. I'm saying did he one time while giving Galen a massage? Skim a little bit.
0: Well, in the words of. Ted Wells Robert has concluded is more probable than not. I have no idea about that. That's the whole that's the big question about the testosterone and Salazar and rot, but I think we don't have any evidence. We don't Robert know. these are very
2: public know. figures and that's the whole thing while these controlled substances anti-doping substances you're not supposed to have them under certain circumstances and it's very convenient for Alberto to have a prescription of these things and essentially Caras implying that that possibility happened that sometimes Alberto would massage galen and so the implication is was he slipping him something extra and w- we'll never know unless one of those two speaks out because they've never tested positive and alberto if you're listening to the podcast we still want you on i think uh, what robert essentially is saying is like look we've always been critical of alberto and some of the stuff what he did but like now we have investigation investigation alberto was not banned in, uh, until what two months ago so mo was allowed to work with him And if we have UK athletics stepping in before that and saying this, there's nothing against them. You can't work with them. Like that's not their role. I don't feel like they're not this. They're not some gatekeeper. This isn't some controlled society, like even more so like Ethiopia or whatnot. I think most athletes are free to work with whatever coach they want to. As long as that coach isn't banned in Britain, I think that's how it should be. I think that's how it should be in the United States.
1: Now, did you guys see this other story from Britain? The, they hired a new head, new woman to head uh, UK athletics And she had to step down before she even started the job.
0: I did see this. Zara Hyde Peters was the woman who was hired. And then it came out that her husband had had an inappropriate, I think, texting relationship. I don't know exactly the extent of it with a 15-year-old while he was a teacher. And that came to light that after that relationship, he was allowed to serve as a coach for youth athletes at Zara Hyde, the club, running club that Zara Hyde-Peters was, I believe, the vice chair of, and that information came to light. I think Matt Lawton of the Times broke the story, and she was forced... UK Athletics, initially I think they supported her, and then they sort of realized which way the wind was blowing and said no, and she never even got to take that, take that, that position.
2: Yeah, John, you need to get the down low on UK Athletics, because I'm reading here an article from The Guardian. It says, we thought USATF was dysfunctional. It says, UK Athletics has now lost its chief executive, performance director, and chair in the space of 10 months. But Brits, let us know if this is a big deal, is UK Athletics, I don't even know like what their budget is, but if this is more of a figurehead position. But I think this is the CEO position, so that's the person actually in charge, actually doing stuff. I mean, USATF hasn't had its president been able to do its job for... What, probably two years now almost, which reminds me the USATF convention coming up. But it's this week in Reno. Yeah. USATF has a president and a CEO, and the CEO is a paid guy running the day to day. So the day to day stuff went on. But it sounds like UK athletics is in even more disarray. But I don't know, showing my American bias, I don't really know how consequential this is. But I think the good thing is that a lot of attention. To various forms being brought to how athletes are coaching, excuse me, how coaches are coaching young athletes and making sure everything's proper. And if you're put in that position of authority, everything needs to be above board. And if it's not, and you condone that, there's going to be consequences
1: to pay. I 100% agree. I mean, we once had a guest speaker come to us, to speak to all the coaches at Cornell, and they said it's it's a great honor to be called coach it's one of the most powerful relationships uh, some people ever have with with an adult figure. And you, you, it's something that should, should comes with a lot of responsibility and what happened in Britain was wrong. You know, um, her husband was accused of misconduct was accused. was found guilty of quote misconduct of a serious nature when he was a PE teacher. And he was, found to be involved in the exchange of inappropriate photographs. But I think he was cleared of actual sexual misconduct. But the problem was she didn't apparently tell anyone when he was working with the new club about it. So down she goes. All right, guys, well, let's
0: move on. Let's talk some turkey trots, Manchester road race as a new England resident. This one's the one most near and dear to my heart. Weldon, maybe, you know, maybe we'll send you out there next year or so now that you're Connecticut resident, but uh, good race this year. Edward Cheserek was leaning late. He was going for the repeat. Gets taken down, blown by in the last, you know, 150 meters by his former Oregon teammate Eric Jenkins. And I found it really interesting uh, because these guys would battle. Well, they wouldn't battle that much because they sort of just go one-two a lot. 2014, 15. When I was first starting out, it seemed like every NCAA final, those guys were running. And the big question was, oh, do these guys let each other win in these races? And you know, Jenkins gets the win. He almost. Broke Cesarex course record there. You came only two seconds shy. Uh, that Cesarek set last year in the women's race, Edna Kiplagat, who is now forty years old, still going strong. She wins Manchester. She's just the second woman to win both Manchester and the Boston Marathon, which she won two years ago. But I, I found the Cesarex Jenkins thing I thought was interesting because you know coming out of college, Jenkins was really good, but it clearly looked like Cesarex was you know the better runner, the bigger talent. And as professionals, they have now raced five times and eric jenkins has won four eric jenkins has made a world championship team you know Cesarek has a run a 349 mile on the track but you know i think jen you know jenkins has, make- has made u.s teams and has a i would say much better shot to make the olympics next year given that we don't even know if chesarek you know certainly for the u.s doesn't even have citizenship i just found that the way their sort of relationship uh competitive relationship has turned to be fairly interesting
1: John, that record means nothing to me, 4-1 and one as pros. If Cheswick got American citizenship, I would bet my house that he beats Jenkins and makes the team. You would? Yeah, Cheswick has nothing to train for right now. I know he's been injured a lot, but give him American citizenship, and I think he might become like a God type runner. I, I just, I don't know, this whole thing. Is he going to become an American or not? Can someone tell me what's going on here? Can you reach out to Stephen Haas, John, and get an update here? Because this is kind of annoying. Like, what's the point of being a pro runner if you're the highlight of your season is running a turkey trot every year? This guy needs to get to Europe and run a diamond league or do something. It's like kind of depressing that he hasn't done anything much as a pro.
0: Yeah, it's actually interesting, Robert. I, you know, he ran thirteen oh eight and thirteen oh four this year, um, and won both in his two five But the one was in a BU meet, which was you know set up for Cesarek as a time trial. The other one was Houston competitive field yeah yeah he didn't he didn't run any diamond leagues and he ran one last year at the pre-classic but he wasn't 100 healthy so i don't know i think we know the story with the citizenship though they got moving way too late they didn't really start the process in earnest until he graduated from oregon and if you're not going to go the army route it takes a long time to get u.s citizenship
1: i thought that einstein visa could go pretty quickly anyways where does he even train now
0: where does cheseric train flagstaff yeah
1: this is one of the reasons why i do think people join the nike oregon project you know really if you join a big group an established group with medical support and i know mary came is complaining about the medical support and the lack of certified people but if you join a bowman track club or an nlp i feel like they're more on top of you on a day-to-day basis than if you're sort of in some random group and Flagstaff. like one of the big problems with weldon actually when weldon was living out there my brother was I mean he had a stress fracture in his foot for like a year and a half and didn't realize it cuz he couldn't you know we didn't have medical insurance to get an mri or something whereas i don't know i feel like these bigger groups have more medical care stuff like that
0: i don't know i mean they're not fu- jump balls out in phoenix and you know a ton of runners go visit him it's not like people who plenty of athletes train in flag stuff i'm sure there are people you know he's going to get stuff checked out with i don't, I don't think right maybe nike has better medical care but i I, I don't know. I, I think it's it, too far of a leap to go from like, that's why he's had injury issues and, and it, he wasn't even that injured this year. I don't think.
2: I think there's a couple of things. I think w- one in a formal group, you're going to get certain, maybe more directed medical care. I was seeing John ball when I was actually in Flagstaff. I w- went and saw the Dr. Galea in Canada who ended up being busted for HGH, who, who Tiger Woods and all these other experts saw. I fla- flew and saw Gerard Hartman, Paul Radcliffe's doctor in Ireland. So I was trying to see the best, but I, it was sort of haphazard. And sometimes these running injuries are very difficult to figure out. The bigger issue, I think, for Cheserek is that he can't run the world. He doesn't have a focus of a season. So when you're forced to focus on one thing, if you get an injury, you back off. Now it's like, oh, I'll just back off. I'll, I'll do the Manchester road race. So he's missing the big events. He's hot in the indoor season. Now it's like Manchester, the highlight. Yeah, sure, he ran 1304 last year, but 1304 is nothing. I agree with Robert. I think he's a better runner than Eric Jenkins, but unless he gets on the world stage, what does that mean? And there's a big threat on let's run, like what's taking so long with Cesarek's citizenship. And I think if you've read the article from the last few years, we knew he wouldn't have citizenship by 2000, excuse me, 2020. So I think the system is doing what it does. He's not going to be running by Tokyo 2020. I think all indications are that we knew that from a few years ago. And I, I don't think he wants to run for Kenya and fairly unfairly but that's how it works if you're not running for a country you sort of get lost because all the big events in track and field are designed for the top three from each country
0: yeah no look it's ultimately his decision he could run he could have run for kenya in the world championships 2017 it's getting a little harder to make that team now but you know he would have a good shot to make the kenyan olympic team next year but He doesn't want to run for Kenya. He wants to run for the United States. And that's more important to him than making an Olympic Games. And you got to respect that decision if that's what his priority is. All right, shall we move on? There were some other running events over Thanksgiving weekend. I wouldn't call these turkey trots, but Foot Locker Regionals and uh, California State cross-country meet. We've got NXN coming up this weekend. And Robert, you have a hot take you want to unfold.
1: No, you're just misogyny and sexism is coming through. Yet again, I'm surprised you have female fans on this podcast. The Silicon Valley Cherokee Trot, that was a big race for the women. Shannon Roberry defeated Olympians. Kim Conley. I don't think Emily Infield. Is she an Olympian, John? Not sure if she is.
0: Emily Infield. Yeah, I'm the misogynist. You can't tell me that Emily Infield made the Olympics. She lapped. she almost lapped Molly Huddle in that race. Maybe she did lap Molly Huddle. World Championship medalist. Yeah. Of course she's, she's an World Olympian. Championship
1: medalist. I wasn't sure if she won the Olympics. But anyways, she she won the turkey trot.
0: Oh, wait, no, sorry, sorry, 2016 Olympics, sorry. Molly Huddle almost lapped Infeld. I, I was totally, I'm sorry, what was I, th- Molly Huddle set the American record in that race. Maybe I am, in, no, I'm not a misogynist, but yes, Infeld is an Olympian, but she didn't, she got smoked by Huddle in that race.
2: I'm going to
1: mark that, maybe I am a misogynist. 1541 for Robbert, 1544 for Conley, and 1547 for Enfield. To me, this is not a good result for, for Enfield. I mean, I mean, I guess she's healthy enough. She ran that New York, didn't she run the New York, 5k the weekend of the marathon, but uh, at this stage in her career, she's so much younger than Roeberry. I know Roeberry is more of a 5k runner compared to Enfield being a 10k runner, but I feel like, I mean, Enfield, come on, this is a former world champion medalist. She's beating Roeberry at this stage of the game. Are
0: you calling her Emily Infield, Robert? Huh? Are you calling her, what is her last name? Are you call, it sounds like you're calling her Emily Infield.
1: Emily Infield.
0: Okay, sorry, maybe it's just your pronunciation. I just, I don't know. It sounded like you were
2: calling her Emily Enfield. <laughs> okay. What well, you mean, like with an I instead of an E? Yeah, that's what it sounded Infield, like to me. Infield. What do
0: you think? Well, then,
2: John, we're from Texas. We don't have an addiction.
0: All right, maybe I, I'm sorry. I, after the Shay Lane thing, I'm I'm hyped, maybe I'm overcorrecting here. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. I, look, here's the thing. Enfield, she's she's clearly a monster talent you know she made she medaled at worlds she made the olympic team in 2016 she made the worlds in 2017 but she's had a lot of injury issues she's missed a lot of training time you know she missed most of 2018 and most of 2019 so when you uh when you miss that much time it's hard to get back i'm not too worried about these turkey trots To, to me the biggest sign is that she's racing that's a good sign I'm going to judge her based on her track results next year, not what she's doing at some five Ks on, on you know in November.
2: I could care less, really, what someone does at a turkey track. They're kind of a cool afterthought, but there's not usually it doesn't matter what sort of shape a pro is in in November. I guess unless you know you're running the New York City Marathon, then it really does matter if you're in shape. Or NCAA cross country athletes need to be in good shape in November, and high school athletes, Footlocker Championships. NXN. I think we should turn there, guys. The fields are now set for the Foot Locker. Well, I guess we don't have the California region yet, right?
0: West region. Don't forget about those other Western states like, you know, Montana and uh, Utah and Washington, Oregon, all of those ones. I'm sure I'm forgetting Hawaii, I'm forgetting a few others, but yeah, it's more than just California out there. Well then,
2: Yes. So I think NXN championships are this weekend and then the granddaddy of them all in our book still. Well, at least the final high school race, the Footlocker Championships, will be in a couple weeks. But, John, how did our guy do? The Illinois guy, Josh
0: Methner, podcast listener, and he's had a great season. Well done. He won NXN, the NXN Midwest Regional, and last weekend he won Footlocker Midwest, and he's trying to do the double. So excited to see! But he's going to have a lot of competition. This NXN field. Uh, I haven't dug into it totally. We'll have a little preview uh, coming later this week on Let's Run. But Nico Young, this guy from California, from Newbury Park, he ran he, – I think he had the performance of the weekend for high school last week. He ran 14.28.5 at the California State Meet. He won his Division uh, division two race by 25 seconds. And his team set the all-time like t- average – time you know best time for a california team so that's really impressive they're going to be at nxn i imagine they have to be among the favorites if you're setting that and then you've got loudon valley who's won the last two nxn titles and young i should say he missed german fernandez's uh california state meet course record by four seconds so if you remember how good german fernandez was as a senior that's pretty impressive stuff so that's gonna be exciting and then We've got Caitlin Toohey. She's doing her thing again. She's coming back. She's going for the three-peat at NXN. So, I don't know. You said Footlocker is still the granddaddy of them all. I don't I don't know about that, Weldon. I mean, I it would be cool if that was the case, but the last few years, NXN has just had far more of the better individuals, and I think it was maybe Drew Hunter's senior year was the last time you would say that the number one individual ran you know, Foot Locker only. So... I think NXN champ is probably going to be the, I'd have to dig into the fields this year, but it seems like NXN and certainly the last few years has had the better fields.
1: Unfortunately, I think John's right. I mean, not that having a high school national championship with, with teams isn't a good thing for the high school runners, but Footwalker was such a great meet. It was so easy to focus on. It was the best, the best of the high school individual runners. And then that got diluted because Nike sort of took it for their own. It's a shame that those two couldn't figure out a way to work together. Footwalker sells a lot of Nike damn shoes. Why don't they have what? Be like, you're the Foot Locker champion at the NXN race or something. I, I I don't know. But Foot Locker still holds a special place, I think, in a lot of people's hearts too, over the age of, like, 30.
2: Yeah, I wish there was just one high school race, but I sort of get the, the team thing. You guys are acting like NXN is, like, the end-all, be-all. But, like, last year, City Mascarelli, she ran Foot Locker. She got beat at the regional this year in Foot Locker. So m- maybe the number two and number, like, Three girls are going to Foot Locker, the number one, and four are going to NXN. So, yeah, NXN has been slightly stronger the last few years. Name me the most famous NXN champion.
0: Well, Chris Derrick, but that was a while ago.
2: He won Foot Locker too, correct?
0: He did not win Foot Locker.
2: Because he back then couldn't win it, I don't think. Huh? Back then, he probably couldn't win it.
0: No, he got second to Mike Fout. But the here's the thing. Like, you're saying, well, you just got to look at the numbers. I mean, here are the last three Footlocker champions Reed Brown, 2016, sixth at NXN, Dylan Jacobs, 2017, 13th at NXN, Cole Hawker, 2018, second at NXN. NXN is where the best guys go. Caitlin Tui, who's been the best high school runner, probably best high school cross country runner in history, certainly of the last few years. Which race was she running? NXN. I think it's disingenuous to say, oh, they're pretty even. Like the last few years, NXN has clearly been superior.
2: Fine. The men's thing is a stronger point, John. That you're taking one girl who's on a top team. I would argue maybe in 2016, Claudia Lane was better than Caitlin Tooley. She ran Foot Locker. She won Foot Locker again in 2017.
0: Caitlin Tooley didn't start running until 2017. That was her first NXN title.
2: Fine. In 2017, when Lane won again, everybody wanted to see that matchup, but they didn't get to see it. Weenie Kalati won Footwalker as well. Edward Cheswick, Grant Fisher. Inc. This is 100. a while ago. That's, that's is... to 2015. So it's not that long ago. Like things can sort of ebb and flow. Obviously, NXN's on the way up. And with if you're on a good team, you're way more likely to go to NXN. Some of the top individuals, like last year, City Mascarelli, she got beat at the regionals by, I'm blanking on the name this year, Molly Stollipa. Yeah. So. And I think Molly's the number two high school runner. Ma-
0: Molly. Sorry. It's I, my English accent. M-A-R-L-E-E. Marley. Yeah, Ma- yeah, Molly. Yeah. Molly.
2: I mean, we don't pay that much attention to high school. So we sort of like trot out our previews the
1: week of the race. Speaking of words, I was aware, very much aware of that fact. Like when we started the run, I was really into the high school scene. We interviewed Ryan Hall. And I'm like, do we just not pay attention to it because we're getting older? Does that mean we're old? I'm kind of into this, though. The podcast listener folks, Josh Mathner, he won the Midwest. Also, remember, early in the year, he broke Craig Virgin's 47-year-old Det Waller course record in Illinois. Legendary stuff. I'm all in, John. I was doing some research right before the podcast. I Googled his name. I guess I should have realized he was already really, really good. But he actually led the Footlocker race for a decent part part of it last year. Finished in the top 10 last year as a junior. So he could be a factor. I think he's projected like sixth or seventh right now, based on speed ratings for NXN this weekend. Maybe we should have him on the podcast, John. This is the question I have. Though we got an interesting email this week saying that we should delete a thread about who had more potential last year's Footlocker champ Sydney Mascarella or the the NXN champ Caitlin Tui. We got a very heartfelt uh, email from a listener, podcast listener, who said, "Like, look, I think this thread. You guys have talked a lot about moderation recently. I think this thread should be taken down. These are not professional athletes." You know what if they read this, and you know causes them to have an eating disorder or quit the sport, and I thought long and hard about it. I read it. It's like an eight page thread. There was really almost no talk about their body types. It was a, I was shocked at how well the thread was, and it was like I'm like, look, we're talking about the two high school national champions here. I feel like this is a legitimate thread. Sometimes I let threads stay up while they're newsworthy and then I'll delete them like a week or two later when it's sort of no longer topical news. But honestly, I kind of feel like this is the type of thread that's going to be newsworthy for five or ten years because it's a debate as to which person is better, sort of the one who's like the full-time runner winning NXN or the one who also plays basketball in the winter.
2: Well, I think I'll read part of the email because I think this is an important discussion to have. The email for the guy who wishes to say anonymous. thread is just titled, Sydney mascarelli will be better than caitlin tui i think you should remove this thread this type of discussion can't be good for a young woman slash girl that may read it these young women are taking part in a high school extracurricular activity they are not professional runners and are not being paid to entertain the masses like a pro runner is they're going through puberty They have changing hormones are emotional and impressionable what if they read something on this thread and harm themselves mostly meaning eating disorders or quit running altogether do you want to hear what some anonymous man thinks of their career potential, let alone their body type? I know you said you remove these threads, they evolve into talking about looks or body type, but I think they're detrimental no matter what. So it's just sort of an interesting topic, right? And so one, like, do we need to treat women differently than men? Like if there's a thread, who's going to be the better basketball player, LeBron James Jr. or, you know, mellow ball, whatever, you know, I, I don't even know the top high school basketball players now, so I'm just making up names. I don't think anyone would think much about that, right? in a free society what sort of discussions do we have these are the most prominent high school runners and i think m- more it should be an issue of moderation right allow the discussion but make sure it's above board and that takes more resources on our part that's where, sort of where i side but i think we want to make sure the discussion is is for high schoolers you know much more moderated and we're on top of it but i'm totally fine with the discussion in general
0: yeah, I mean, look, Caitlin Toohey was on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Remember that? I mean, the, these women are out there, and I think it's fair to talk about these them and say you're excited for their future prospects and that sort of thing or to discuss it. I think that's fine. It, it needs to be done in a healthy way. It needs to be moderated correctly. It can't devolve into body shaming or a body image or anything like that. But so far, Robert's read the thread and seems to think it's, it's above board. I mean, I don't know. I I, see, I think it should be fair to talk about them. A few years ago, Robert, there was a thread that, Robert was saying Donovan Brazier was the better high school, the better pro prospect than Grant Fisher when they were both coming out in, in Michigan. And I thought that was interesting and it turned out to be true. And I, you know, that's a, I thought that was a worthwhile discussion and it's something we can look back on now and be like, Hey, that was kind of cool.
2: Yeah, what did they start saying though? Oh, you know, runner X is body type. I don't think she'll be as good as a pro.
0: Yeah. I that that sort of thing. Pro. I mean, That thing probably be probably delete it. If you're talking about a high school girl and you're talking about hey, she has a better body for being a pro, that sort of thing
1: depends on how it's said.
0: For a high school, I think you should probably delete that.
2: I think it's how it's said. What if you say, oh, that NFL, oh, he's not gonna, his body's not gonna be big enough to be an NFL lineman. I mean, no one even thinks twice about that, right? I think it just sort of shows the nuance in society and how these things aren't as black and white as people
1: want them to be. I think there needs to be a higher standard for high schoolers, and that's why I've actually moved this thread to, to registered users only. But also, I think that as I'm entering the world of parenting, I, I have some friends that have that really thought a lot about parenting. I think some of this is parenting in general, like you need to teach your kids, like what someone says about you. Whether it, well, I mean a lot of these people aren't public figures, but most kids are on social media. And that's why the suicide rates are skyrocketing and the anxiety is skyrocketing. It's because people are worried what people are are saying about them. Now, maybe they're friends on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Don't worry about that shit. Like, you need to be stronger than that. Don't even pay attention to it if you can't. I know that's, like, simple to say and easier to say than than to actually do. But some of this sort of is on the parents. And, you know, it's difficult. Like, I mean, how old was – was Simone Biles when she was winning all these medals originally. I mean, she's what, 22 now, but quite young. So it's difficult. And also w- one of the things I thought about was, is I'm like, it's not like these people are trying to hide from publicity, John. It's, I mean, w- one of them, I forgot which one of them, but allowed like Miles split to come to their work high school and do a, or do a workout Wednesday. So they're clearly not immune to total publicity. So anyways, yeah, but there's, there's
0: different from that than asking these random people on a message board to comment, you know, give their running opinions
1: on you. But- and I do think it's, it's it's sort of condescending to women saying like, oh, they can't handle it. But, you know, I guess the, the body issues are stronger for women than men. But back to Josh Messner, guys, I've just found I was going to root for him. I thought he was going to win both NXN and Foot Locker and become a legend. But now I'm not sure if I'm a fan anymore, John. I found out where he's going to college. Which is? The Bastion and White Privilege, Notre Dame University. Anyway. What? what how do you say that? You know, couldn't you have gone to more John? We always here at Let's Run, we support the blue-collar runners. Couldn't you have gone to more like a blue-collar school like Princeton, Yale, or maybe Dartmouth? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I wouldn't have been opposed to Dartmouth. He could certainly help us after finishing lost at HEPS this year. No, Notre Dame, they're Look, they got a great young coach in Sean Carlson. They're a top 10 team in NCAAs this year. They have the NCAA 1500 champ. They win the DMR this year. They're a program on the rise. I think it's a fine choice. John, I realize
1: that I hate myself. I always root against, quote, I, I think the term white privilege drives me nuts, but I always realize I root against white privilege. Like, I root against Stanford. I root against Notre Dame. If I didn't, I always say if I wasn't born a Dallas Cowboys fan, I would hate the Dallas Cowboys. Now that's quite the same thing. I went to Princeton University myself, but I act like I'm some, like, Baltimore City, inner city guy. Yeah, baby. So if it's not too late to get out of your letter of intent, I can come up with some better schools for you. Yale university hasn't won an Ivy league championship and ever. So All
0: right. don't listen to this guy. If actually, if he, Josh, if you are listening to it right before NXN, good luck. Cause he's probably out in Portland right now. Uh, but yeah, that's a lot of, you know, a lot of high school talk. Actually, Robert, one thing you mentioned though, is kind of interesting. We don't pay as atten- much attention to high school now as we did when we were younger. I feel like that's a rite of passage for every runner. Like, When I was in high school, I was on Diestat on the homepage every day. I was on their message boards. I went there all the time. I barely ever went to Let's Run. Then in college, I started following college a lot more and transitioned away from Diestat and was on Let's Run more. I'm like, man, I wish, you know, Let's Run, they have some college stuff, but I wish they talked about more college stuff. You know, it's mostly pro. And then when I got out of college, I kind of realized, oh, I'm much more interested in pro and the college and high school stuff. Like high school, I barely pay any attention to now, unless it's someone's truly spectacular uh college i I pay attention to less but that less than pro but you know still for ncaa's i know who the good guys are and stuff i think it's just where you're at in life like and sort of who especially like for me there's people in my age group still running and still competing at a high level it's kind of interested like the guys you competed against or the guys you you know looked up to in high school that sort of thing whereas when you're when you're in your 20s you're just not as interested in highs like seeing comparing yourself against the top high schoolers of 2019 when you're class of 2009 like me doesn't really hold as much appeal all right one last thing for me before we go uh got a call and let's run uh phone line from message people post a runner dave he wanted to bring this to my attention from the valencia marathon it was a clip the final mile and you guys should look it up. We'll have hopefully a clip to the YouTube, uh, to the race finish in the show notes, the final mile, the race leader and the eventual winner, Rosa Dereje. She had a gap of a few meters and she had a male pacer with her. And then just behind her was as Mera Abreja. She was running in second place. And there was a second male pacemaker running right in front of her. And as Abreja was trying to keep up with Dereje, this pacemaker, he kept turning behind her turning behind and sort of, motioning fail you know violently almost like really just encouraging her to sort of speed up but it was sort of i just viewed it as kind of unprofessional like he was just it almost seemed demeaning because he was running along and not having much of a problem and she was like really straining and trying to you know at the end of a marathon he's just motioning back to her and i just i don't know i think you guys should watch the video but do we should these male pacemakers in the end of female marathons, should they even still be there because to me the runner in the front i guess this pacer is sort of helping her follow along the pacer behind her so for the second place runner she, that's sort of that pacer is helping her bridge the gap to the leader should we just let get rid of the pacers and let these women race do you feel anything wrong with the sort of demeaning behavior or unprofessional behavior of someone sort of imp- Telling the the runner that is supposed to be pacing to move up. I mean, is there anything wrong with this or am I being too overdramatic?
2: You say demeaning, he would say he's encouraging her to do well. He maybe gets a bone if she, if she wins the race. It looks like it was a personal pacer for me personally. I think the racers, the pacer, shouldn't be there at the end unless you know, it's just maybe a one attempt for a world record. And then they're pacing the first person, this personal encouragement. I didn't like, I personally want a fair race. And I guess at the beginning, I didn't say my claim to fame was pacing Paula Radcliffe to her first world record. And during that race, it was Paula taking on the old world record holder, Catherine Indereba, from the year before. And at one point, Indereba fell back. And I was in charge of the Pacers. And my backup pacer was Brian Sell, a little runner named Brian Sell, who actually made the Olympics. So that's my claim to fame, being the head pacer of Brian Sell. And I was like, this isn't fair. Like, can someone drop back? I said, Brian, go back to Catherine and help her. Like, if we're breaking the win for Paula. It's not fair if Indoreba doesn't have the wind broken for her. So he ran back and paced her for a while. And then by 25 miles, we were out of the way. And Chicago made it clear like, we don't want you guys stealing the Thunder, your escorts. But at the same time, they wanted the record broken. So we broke the wind for parts of it. But it should be a competition. And the, when the Pacers are grabbing headlines, I think they're not doing their job. So unless the world record's getting broken, get the hell out of there and let them race at the end.
0: Yeah, I think I agree with you on that one, Weldon.
1: Well, I don't understand what's demeaning about it, John. It just shows you the gap between men's and women's running. I mean, it looks demeaning to think that this guy can urge her along. I don't think it's a good look. I feel like we should have some, like, maybe go to mechanical pacing, let cars do it, say they say they can only go halfway or they can only go 30K in all races. It's just absurd to have personal pacers. And Yes, it's a bad look. All right, guys, I have to unpack
2: some boxes. Before we do, there's a segment we haven't had in a while. Deleted thread of the week. Got a th- few candidates. Dear Brojos, stop hating on the Vaporfly. I don't know why that thread would need to be deleted. Should should still be up in my
1: book. Okay, let me talk about the Vaporfly because I'm going to put this article out soon. I don't have a problem with the Vaporflies now. If I was running for another, you can go out and buy the Vaporflies. So as long as people are only wearing commercially available, available shoes, I don't have a problem with it. I was talking to my, my coaching guru, John Kellogg. He's like, look, we've always wanted faster shoes. Now we have them. I do have a small problem, I guess. Small asterisk here. They seem to, if they do if it comes out, they benefit certain types of foot strikes more than others. That is concerning to me and reminds me of the swimsuits, and maybe they should be banned. But if everyone can go out and buy them, that's fine. So as long as everyone's wearing just the same option, now that's a problem for Molly Huddle, who was sponsored by Saucony and these other people. But hey, if they're going to allow them, I'm not totally opposed to that. But I have what happened in 2016 when they secretly made the shoes only gave them select people that's mechanical doping and I've got a problem with that so if someone if there's a few people like if Galen Rupp is the only person in the men's Olympic 2020 Olympic marathon that's allowed to wear the new alpha flies they're not out yet then I have a problem with that and that's mechanical doping so I do think that 2016 Galen Rupp and all three medalists were guilty of mechanical doping and the results need to be Invalidated. I don't think how anyone can disagree with me on that. I've gotten quite a few emails on that to respond to <laughs> What
0: do you mean you don't think anyone can disagree with you on that? What
2: at some point, like what technology, who has access to it? Like let's say this was basketball and one team was Adidas and one team was Nike and the whole team couldn't switch and Adidas shoes were superior and the teams just put it at a disadvantage. And they're like, Oh, you can go out and buy shoes. Well, they they can't. They're contractually not allowed to. So it's easy just to say, like, oh, so m- maybe the technology shouldn't be allowed to be copyrighted, patented, excuse me. And there's just a lot of issues they still need to figure out because we want a fair playing field that comes back to the pacing. In reality, Let's Run has always stood for fair sport. We want fair competition. We don't want somebody winning because of their shoes, because of doping, because of some unfair advantage they have. There's a lot that the World Athletics needs to figure out right now. But I was not trying to set Robert up for the his vapor fly rant. <laughs>
0: The the weekly, can we just record, wait, can we just record what Robert just said and just play that every week at the end of the podcast or whatever? That prevents Robert from bringing it up every time on the podcast.
1: John, I I have a serious question for you. Which do you think is more of a benefit, running an L-carnitine experiment on Steve Magnus or wearing these shoes that help you two to three minutes?
0: The, The shoes are more of a benefit, but they're also not illegal.
1: They were illegal. No, they weren't. What part that's
0: a debate that's a different that's a debate for a different podcast
2: i think for 2016 olympics if they'd enforced the rule it would have been they should have been deemed illegal but it's a little late now to go back and redo it the rule was
0: the, they didn't have the reasonably available the old line in there yet
2: No, that's not the part they said unfair advantage and if it, the technology is not available that is an unfair advantage when you purposely keep the shoes from somebody that's an unfair advantage
1: i will read the rule Rule one hundred forty IWAF rule one hundred forty three point two. This is what was in place during the two thousand sixteen Olympics. Athletes may compete barefooted with footwear on one or both feet. The purpose of shoes for competition is to give protection and stability to the feet and a firm grip of the ground. Such shoes, however, must not be constructed so as to give athletes any unfair assistance or advantage. To me, clearly, this was unfair assistance and or advantage. It improved your efficiency by four percent and improves your time in the marathon by over a minute. And it's clearly not designed just to give them a. a, a a, a firm fit with the ground. Now you can argue that all shoes are trying to be lighter and get you to run faster, John. That doesn't. That doesn't. That, that, that doesn't excuse it. It's like, okay, well, it's like vitamins versus steroids. We know the steroids are illegal. Vitamins not so much. So maybe it's one shoe. Maybe some people. Maybe all shoe companies were trying to do this, but the fact of the matter is, these shoes were handed out just to select people, and that's wrong.
0: The rule doesn't say they can't provide an advantage. It says unfair advantage, and you have to pass. You have to determine. What is the definite what does unfair mean in this case? Does unfair mean roller skates? Does unfair mean carbon plate? Does unfair mean certain proprietary foam? I mean, that is purposely vague. Right.
1: But any anybody with a brain, John, would argue that this these shoes were not the, the, the main goal of these shoes was not to protect and provide stability to the feet. Do you agree with that or provide a firm grip?
2: that's the main goal of every shoe, Robert. John, 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 I can't believe you're not saying it's an unfair advantage. The technology, no one else knew it even existed. It, no, no, I think I, I, th- and you lined them up. Okay. If we start, if we just start the four, whoever, let's say three athletes were in the Olympics. I'm not sure how many did four athletes. And we just say, okay, you could just start a minute ahead of everybody else. Do you think that's fair?
0: No, but that's a different situation. No, do, do, do I think? No, no, it's no. not,
2: John. These shoes, no one else had access to these shoes. That's totally just by definition, unfair. Now, if a shoe is out on the market, someone can decide if they want to wear on it. If you don't know this thing exists, I, and it gives you a two percent advantage, to me that's just no. Like I,
0: th- I, I think it could be an unfair situation, and but I don't know. I, I think you're just saying are the shoes inherently unfair? Well, it's you got to define what that means. If they're unfair.
2: Like, yes, John. If no one else, if no one has access to them, it's unfair. If I give you something and don't let anyone else get it, that is unfair.
0: Yeah, but then you're saying like the shoes need to be constructed to give an unfair advantage. Like they're giving, they're even better now. They're, they're like, but now they're not unfair because of what other people are wearing and because they're not publicly available. That's, I mean, that's different than being constructed to be unfair.
2: But one, there's the nature of what's in the shoe, and then also part of being unfair is who has access to it.
0: Yeah, no, look, I, I'm not. All right, I'm not saying you've started to win me over that it's not totally ridiculous that Robert is claim making this claim. I still disagree with it. But yeah, do I think that people should... Be... Here's the thing, though. All right. Flash forward to 2020 Olympics. Say the Alpha Flies are out. They're not banned. But Adidas athletes can't wear them or Saucony athletes can't wear them because they're contracted. No, they how can. are we in any different situation than 2016? We've got some shoes. that are clearly superior to other shoes. Not every athlete has access to them because they have shoe contracts. How is that any different?
1: Okay, I'll tell you how that's different. For one, the shoe companies could let them out of that contract. I mean... When if if uh, if an Adidas athlete makes the U.S. Olympic team, they already wear a Nike singlet. So why does it matter if they wear a Nike pair of shoes?
0: Then why is Adidas paying them at all?
1: Oh, for market. I mean, it's just branding, really. But
0: what they branding? They're not getting any branding. They can't wear Adidas during the Olympics at all during the most important race of their life.
1: That that's the issue. A, you could say they could let them out, or they could just tape it over. But it, then the publicity. We could say, well, my shoe company won't let me wear it. And they're my employer, and I have to follow that. And if that's on the shoe company. Then the shoe company looks petty and bad for not admitting that their technology is inferior.
0: Yeah, the athlete is being an asshole. and Well, not an asshole, but the athlete is going to making the company look bad. The
1: athlete decided to wear the shoes and then was sued by the shoe company. That would be a real problem for me. But anyways, can we talk about something else that I wanted to talk about before we leave? Folks, Steve Spence has one of the greatest – streaks and running history the 1991 world championship marathon medalist that's what he's best known for professionally but in my world he's best known for running a sub five minute mile in each of the last 43 calendar years i wrote him last week he because there was a thread about it he has not done it in 2019 he's running out of time he said i have not broken five this year it's been a t- rough year i need to write him back to see if he's Going to try in the final 27 days, 26 days, John? How many days are there this year, this month?
0: 28, including today.
1: Like, if he's going to do this, I will drive up to Shippensburg and live stream this. This could be the greatest race of of the year. Let's run exclusive. Could this
2: be the race of the decade? We didn't plug this very well. We're going to start next week. The discussion is now open. There's a thread on it, and let's run. We'll put it in the show notes. What is the race of the decade? We're going to do this NCAA bracket style, 64 races. We're now just sort of trying to make sure we have our main contenders in there. So if you got any ideas, check out the thread, nominate them. Maybe Steve Spence, if he goes sub five on December 31st, could get in there. And back to deleted threads, There's someone started a thread, the worst race of the decade. I mean, I think that could be good tongue in cheek. People are talking about the two thousand seventeen hundred meter final drug cheat Justin Gatlin taking the win. Twenty
0: twelve Olympic women's fifteen hundred meter final. Talkie goes 1-2. One th- one
2: I may restore this thread.
0: Yeah, why was that thread deleted? Worst thread of the de- worst race of the decade.
2: I don't know. Maybe they just think they're just going to go negative and where is it going to go? But with all the stuff that stays up and let's run, I think that should be back. There's two threads on whether Joshua Joshua Chepka Chepka could be doping and what's going on in Uganda. 100% those threads are being restored. Like we've always said, we'll let you speculate about doping. I feel like all in all the moderation, we have a new back end. It's doing much better. We're going to continue
1: those discussions. Okay, guys. I keep saying a few things before I leave, but John talked about he received a phone call last week. If you want to reach us, unlike Facebook and unlike Twitter, unlike the billion-dollar companies, you can actually reach us. 844, let's run Eight four four five three eight seven seven eight six. And some of you have reached us on the message board. And actually I think it was in the thread about the 64 races, the best race of the decade. My favorite message board post of the week comes from registered user John Wesley Harding. He's writing to Jonathan Galt. John, you literally have my dream job. Excuse me. You literally have my dream job. Never take it for granted. Well then Remember that. John has a, a dream job. I don't think you should give him a raise for five years. You know, compensation is not just monetary. It's also sort of, if it's a dream job, then you can pay them less. That's why Nike Nike supposedly underpays people because people want to work there. And I also have an update from last week's show. I mentioned on the show, podcast how I was wearing my new Hoka Bondi 6s that I purchased at the local running store. And I also was wearing a ticket running sh- company that i got from a military member about 10 years ago and i felt bad after i mentioned it because i checked my emails and i thought oh my god i haven't heard from this guy in a number of years like you know he could potentially have, have lost his life serving the country but he apparently is a podcast listener russell stewart he's still in the military he's close to 25 years he was driving the kids down to Footwalker south so i guess they're runners and then he said he was like an all-star when he heard his name on the, on on the thing. So he's alive and well and still serving the country. Thank you for your good work. I hope your kids, if they if they qualified or ran well, good luck to them. Yeah, speaking of John's job, John, we didn't
2: mention this or Alberto saws our segment. We need Alberto. He's great for business. Robert arguing both sides. This is what we need on the website. So John, that editorial will be writing on how Alberto should not be banned. Please start working on that. Now it's the sort of work we expect. It's journalism, the 21st century, John, 2019.
1: And if any of the listeners want to get to John, I really think this could be the expose on how poorly some of these top prominent female coaches, teeth fat, how they fat shame these females. So I'm serious. Email Jonathan Galt, all one word, at letsrun.com. He can get into that. And I feel bad. Well, can we delete this podcast? Like Again, let it be newsworthy for like a week or two and then delete it. I actually defended Alberto too much in this podcast. And it reminds me of a, of a review I got on November 11th from on iTunes, from Willie Rojo always bringing the heat. The facts may not be the facts, the logic may not be logical, but the takes are always hot. You're welcome, folks.
0: I don't think I've ever heard a better distillation of Robert Johnson right there, but I, I do enjoy working with you guys. I do like that you let me just argue with you and call you out when you're, you know, being ridiculous on the podcast. Not all bosses would allow that sort of criticism, so I appreciate that.
1: I'm not just trying to come up with hot takes. I just get passionate about stuff like these shoes. Like if you're going to take away. Zika- no, 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 no,
0: Robert, we can't, we can't have any more shoe talk. I'm sorry. We've exceeded our quota for this week.
2: I agree. And I got to go unpack some boxes. So I hope everyone had a happy Thanksgiving till next week. Signing off.
0: Good luck at everyone at NXN. Foot Locker West. Good luck runners.